Well, today is number, what's the number again? 400 and, no, 457. Our 457th and uh, Lord willing, last Sunday morning here at uh, Rockford Christian High School as we were, were driving up, um, uh, coming to church today. There was some remembrance about our first Sunday. I think it was March 3rd, 2002. I remember that was a very snowy day. Uh, for those of you who are here, you kind of... <clears throat> in fact, we even thought about canceling church that Sunday because there's so much snow that came. Uh, how fitting that we end on a, a snowy day as well. But next week, Lord willing, we hope to meet at uh, 7721 North Alpine Road. And no longer will we call it Grace Reformed Baptist Church. That's the last time I'm calling it that. It's Rock Valley Bible Church's building now. Uh, I know I'm going to slip up, and I know you will too, but that's, that's fine. Uh, in many ways, um, this whole process is surreal because, uh, you know, Phil and Lance did the closing, and I've not even been there yet to see it or walk through it. Um, I know that many of you haven't either as well, um, since then, in fact, maybe Lance, you and Phil might be the only ones, I'm not exactly sure, who, who've been there yet. Uh, but I know some guys are trying to go over today to drop some things off and um, even some work tomorrow night. And Ray's going to come up even at the end of the service and kind of give us a, a vision and a help of what's, what are some next steps or how we're going to actually move into that place because it's like, it's like uh, empty right now, totally. Um, and so we're going to have to figure out what we're going to buy, when we're going to buy it, the timing and the whole scope of things. So you know, Ray and Lance and um, Dirk are involved in planning that. They'll, they'll seek to help you with that. Um, but I, I true trust as we worship next Sunday, things will be a, a reality there in that building. It'll be a, a great time for us. The reality is the church, though, we're growing up. We are, are growing up, and it's right that we should grow up. Now, I know there are some that have apprehensions about this. I uh, addressed some of those last week, but I know that, that some people, at least maybe, maybe, maybe not, not totally, but all of you to some extent, maybe some of you, some of you are like, woohoo, let's get out of here. Some of you are like, oh, I really like it here. Because there are some of you who do, because uh, you like the people here, you like the gym, you like the atmosphere, and, and you don't mind the setup routine. You don't mind that we're invisible throughout the week because you found us. And uh, you don't mind um, meeting in other homes, and you, know, you, you like it because this is how you've experienced God, is right here. This has been a place where you've really been transformed by His Word and been helped out by that. Um, and I can understand your feelings. Um, I really can. Rock Valley Bible Church, meeting this place, had an impact on some of your lives greatly. And you might have some apprehension about going to a new place. Is it going to be the same or is it going to be different? But let me just say this. So we, are, we are growing up as a church and it's not healthy for us to stay where we are. None of you want your children to stay really small. Well, except I remember, maybe I told this story one time, I remember uh, going into a nursing home in San Francisco where Carissa got to meet her great-grandpa Noel before he passed away. And uh, she was there, how old was she? She was probably nine months, something like that. And some of the older people there made a comment to Carissa and she said, and, and was said something like this, if, if she were smart, she'd never grow up because she'd have all of the... Um, Accolades, the light of the old people just give so much joy and passion like that. But it's only right for us to grow up. All children grow up. We can't, can't do anything to really stop that. 
And uh, really, the building that God has given us, really a tool to accomplish His mission, to enjoy His grace, and to extend His glory. And those, those who don't want to grow up are a little bit like Peter Pan. You remember what Peter Pan taught his friends? I know some of you kids know this. I won't grow up. Right? What, what, how'd they repeat that? Let's say it again. I won't grow up. I don't want to go to school. Okay, kids, if any time there's a time to repeat that, let's go. I won't grow up. I don't want to go to school. Oh, man, this is weak. Okay. <laughs> kids, you, have you seen Peter Pan before, kids? Yes, you have? Parents, have you seen that? Alright, well, let's just sing it, okay? Posterity's sake. I won't grow up. I don't want to go to school just to learn to be a parrot and recite a silly rule. And then he goes on to sing, if growing up is meant to be, if growing up means it would be beneath my dignity to climb a tree, I'll never grow up, never grow up, never grow up, not me, not I, not me, not me. And he goes on and on and on, talking about how he won't grow up. And now, one of the things about, about Peter Pan is that he's fantasy. I mean, all the other kids in the movie, as I remember in the play, they grow up. But Peter Pan's the only one who doesn't because he is uh, not in reality. Because in reality, it's not healthy not to grow up. And God has made us to grow up. Kids know this. Parents know this. And the reality is that we as a church, in many ways, are growing up. Um, last week, I addressed one way in which we're growing up. We're growing up in a facility. That's uh, really what most churches seek, is a facility of their own. And um, by God's grace, as of Friday, we now own a building. And it's our hope and dream and prayer that God will use that building as a tool to accomplish His glory among us. But that's not the only way we're growing up. Um, we're also growing up in leadership as well. And this morning, I want to address that topic, leadership at Rock Valley Bible Church, and uh, really formally present candidates for leadership positions at Rock Valley Bible Church. Uh, we have two positions of Elder Darren Wiebe and Phil Gusky. I know you guys know we've been working on this. And uh, one candidate for deacon would be Ray Hook. And over the, the next month or so, I want to give us an opportunity to church to affirm these men. Or, it might be the case, some of you, I, I doubt it, but it might be the case to raise some critical concerns about these men. And, and I hope, by God's grace, sometime in January, potentially install these men as formal elders and a deacon at Rock Valley Bible Church. Really, I'm excited about that, hoping that we can do that. Um, and the good news is this. In many ways, all three of these men have been functioning as uh, elders and deacons in their role for well over a year now. Uh, I know this past year plus, I've been meeting with Darren and Phil. We meet every two to three weeks or so, really think about the the church, we share our lives together, we, di we pray for one another, we pray together, we dig into scriptures one with one another, we've been leading the church together, Darren's been leading a small group, Phil's been leading a small group, that's by design that these two men are doing that as uh, future elders, future pastors, those who would uh, really help and lead people spiritually. I've worked really hard to give them a prominent role, uh, kind of in this pulpit to read scripture and pray, you might just sense their heart, just you might know them better week in, week out. I appreciate their hearts for ministry. I love these men and uh, long, to, long to have a, a completed, united, fully affirmed team. But here's the good news. When they're fully installed, I don't anticipate anything changing at Rock Valley Bible Church because I've really run everything past by them. 
I've run everything by them that, that we've done as a church. Uh, any, any thoughts or changes, we've, we've kind of gone through together with that, uh, just as if they have been elders. They're functioning that way. Um, but this is merely the process that we need to go through to grow up. And also, Ray's been involved in deacon-type activities at church. I mean, he's taught finances class a, a couple years ago, and from there has had a ch- chance to uh, financially counsel some people in the church, manage setup ministries, kind of taken that on, really managed it, distributed it uh, really well, made it run really smooth. And with the building, he's already taken a prominent role in that. I remember, uh, Ray, we had a meeting, I forget when it was, a uh, week and a half, Tuesday maybe, I remember... You're by and, and uh, things were coming up and basically we said, Ray, can you handle that? <laughs> Ray, can you handle that? Ray, can you handle that? And uh, much was dumped on him and he's doing some things but distributing some things as well. Uh, at the end of the service, he's even going to come forth to speak about our next steps to church and church building and what, what we're doing um, as we're moving forward. So not a lot is going to change, but we are in a, in a, a process of transition as we look to affirm these men here in the next couple months. Um, so my message this morning, I thought it appropriate as we are developing leadership to really really think about how it is that, New, that the New Testament shows and develops leadership or how, how it is that the New Testament transitioned in their leadership from apostles to elders because they really did. I mean, when, on day one of the, uh, the early church, it was not that everything was all in place at the beginning, um, because it wasn't, um, and, and we shall see. And so what I want to do this morning is, is really just work through the transition of, of leadership from the apostles to the elders to the book of Acts, um, because I just feel like that's where we are. It might feel more like a Bible study today, but that's okay. I'll give us some historical perspective. I, I think when we formally install this, we'll talk a lot about duties and and um, roles and things like that. We'll, we'll get a taste of it today. Uh, but I, I thought it would be good for us to kind of think about transition in the early church, how they transitioned, and even then what it means for us at Rock Valley Bible Church. My, my points in my sermon, if you're looking for an outline, first of all, we're going to look at the leadership in the early church, primarily looking at the book of Acts, and then we're going to look at uh, leadership in, at Rock Valley Bible Church, and we'll look at First Timothy chapter three. And so the first point is going to be more just biblical historical. So we just run through the book of Acts. The second one is going to be a lot more practical. So I just report to you what we have done, leadership perspective. So if you will open your Bibles to the book of Acts, and uh, what I want to do is, is really, really in our, in our time, blitz through the book of Acts, but but kind of keying on some key junctures where the the leadership was challenged or tested or changed or transformed or or, or or grew up in some sense. Um, because that's where we are. So leadership at Rock Valley Bible Church, we are, are developing and, and growing up in many ways. Well, in chapter 1, we find Jesus with the disciples teaching them one last class. It's called the Kingdom of God class, which was a 40-day class. If you look there in verse 1, you can see that. And uh, they're hearing about the Kingdom, about the Kingdom, and the disciples said, are you going to restore the Kingdom now? And Jesus said those famous words, verse 7, it's not for you to know the times or the epochs when the Father is fixed by His own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you should be My witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. This is the outline of the book of Acts. It starts in Jerusalem and expands Judea and Samaria and then expands the remotest parts of the earth. The disciples were told to sit and wait, basically. And so... 
as Jesus left them, ascended to heaven, verses 9 through 11, the apostles did the only thing that they knew how to do. They prayed. And they sought the Lord for direction upon their own lives. If you look there in verse 14, it says that they were all with one mind, continually devoting themselves to prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. We see them there. And, and we see, actually, in the midst of this prayer meeting, the first crisis in leadership. They had only 12 disciples this time, only 12 apostles, and only 11. They had 12, but Judas had deserted them. And so in the midst of the prayer meeting, Peter stood up in the gathering of 120 people. And uh, he basically said, we need a replacement for Judas. Who shall it be? Joseph or Matthias? And so they they cast lots. And uh, in verse 26, we see that they drew lots for them. And the lot fell to Matthias. And he was added to the eleven apostles. So you had twelve men called apostles leading the church, about 120 people. And uh, things were going well. And, but things changed ten days later when the promise of Jesus came true. The Holy Spirit descended upon them with power. They began to speak in other tongues, according to verse 4. That is, they began to speak other languages not known to them. And it drew the attention of all who were visiting Jerusalem. They were amazed. They said in verse 7, they said, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? I mean, aren't all these men from Galilee up, up in north? How is it that we each hear them in our own language to which we are born? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, to Phrygia and Pam- Pamphylia, Egypt, the districts of Libya around Cyrene, and the visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them in our own tongues speaking the mighty deeds of God. And they were amazed because here were people from all around the world descending upon Jerusalem for Pentecost, like they always did, and, and here were Galileans then speaking in all these different languages. And what an amazing thing it would be if Darren was here speaking Portuguese and, and if Phil was speaking Italian and if Andy was speaking Russian and Tim Iverson speaking Greek and Garth Breckenridge speaking Chinese and all these people. And we, had, we had all these people from all these nations over there and hearing them understand in their own language. That's what's taking place here in the book of Acts. And it gave Peter really an opportunity then to stand and say, everything you see here, Joel prophesied of this. And then he transitioned to speak about Christ and Him crucified. Christ, Him raised from the dead. Christ ascended into heaven, sitting at the right hand of God until His enemies made a footstool for His feet, according to verse 35. And then he makes the piercing application, the conclusion of his sermon. Verse 36, Therefore, let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made Him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Talking about application, great application there. You crucified Him and God made Him glorious. He was the stone which the builders rejected, which has become the chief cornerstone. And, and they were pierced to the heart with conviction of sin, according to verse 7. And, and then they repented and believed and were baptized. And 3,000 people were baptized that day. So, think about church growth. Go from 120 to 3,000. Now, I do believe this caused difficulty in leadership. You have 12 men now leading 3,000 people. Especially if it's quick. I mean, it's one thing if it's slow, but if it's all quick, it's like, how is it, how is it all going to work? But you know what's very interesting is the church, even from the start, is very healthy. Look at verse 42. They were continually devoting themselves 
to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. That's an expression of, of uh, health. Fellowship together. Being with one another. Praying. Breaking bread. Taking meals. Probably the Lord's Supper as well. Just constantly marveling at uh, the work of God among them. And the group was growing. Look at verse 47. Not only is it 3,000, but it's even more than that. It says the Lord was adding to the number day by day those who were being saved. It's getting bigger and bigger. Now at this point, just let me comment. Yeah, I, I've heard this comment before about uh, people who are concerned about large churches thinking that large churches are all impersonal. Um, they're not. Large churches can be very healthy churches. I mean, think about here. Here's a large church and it's very healthy. The people are there. The fellowship is there. It's sweet. And it continues on. And God was adding their numbers every day. And, and the, the difficulties in leadership would have been very hard because even it says in chapter 4, verse 4, they're up to 5,000 men. Now, that might be 5,000 people. It might be 5,000 men and some other women. Who knows exactly how big this church is, but it is, it is getting larger. And, and one of the expressions of the problems in leadership comes in chapter 6. We're going to kind of camp, camp here because it is a crisis in leadership which helps to expose really how New Testament leadership formed and developed. You're probably familiar with the story, but for our purposes this morning, it serves as well to look at it. Verse, chapter 6, verse 1, This time, while the disciples were increasing in number, so even they're continuing to go, continue to increase, a complaint arose on the part of the Hellenistic Jews against the native Hebrews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily serving of food. The problem arose here at church is really a problem of resources. The apostles weren't capable of doing everything that was required of them. Here they were leading thousands of people to come to faith in Jerusalem. They were teaching the Word of God and they were continuing to spread the Scriptures, continuing to preach the Gospel to many who had, were coming to faith. Look at verse 42 of chapter 5. Every day and in the temple, house to house, they kept right on teaching and preaching Jesus the Christ. And this was the people doing that, but the apostles were also busy doing that because the harvest was plentiful and the laborers were few and people were just pouring into the church at this time as God had His hand upon things. And so the Lord was adding to his, their number every day. On top of that, I, I do think the apostles were spending time serving tables because of verse 2. And, and they weren't doing a good job. That's why the complaint came. Complaint came on, on the on the behalf of the the Hellenistic Jews. That is the the, uh, the 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 Jews who were of the Greek culture, as opposed to the the native Jews who were still Hebrew in the culture. The, the disciples only had limited resources, and they were choosing the Hellenistic Jews. And somehow the Greek Jews were being neglected. And and and, and the complaint was valid because in verse two, the twelve summoned the congregation and said. It's not desirable for us to neglect the Word of God in order to serve tables. Now, this may mean that they were serving tables, but they were neglecting the Word of God in the, the process. Or, or it may mean that here's a problem and we need to go help. We need to serve the tables, which they were willing to do because they saw the need. They needed provision. And, and attempting to provide for them wasn't good because they, they saw the need of the, the widows and they also saw the need of the ministry of the Word. And my guess is that both ministries were hurting. They weren't doing a good job caring for the widows because if they had been doing a good job, there would have been no complaint. And they were neglecting the Word of God by their own admission they were neglecting the Word of God. And so we see the proposed solution, verses 3 and 4. Therefore, brethren, 
Select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of spirit and of wisdom, whom we may put in charge of this task. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. In other words, they want to delegate their responsibilities. They want to place seven men to take the responsibility as of serving tables. Kind of gives you a scope of how many widows there were that needed uh, seven people to help with that. They said, we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. And I love how the congregation responded. Verse 5, great unity in the church. The statement found approval of the whole congregation. The, the, the congregation knew full well the difficult circumstance they were in. They saw they had too much on their plate. They affirmed the priority of prayer. And they affirmed the priority of the Word in their lives. And so they found seven men who could fulfill the responsibility. And they're listed right there for you in verse 5. Stephen found its approval and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit and Philip and Procurus and Nicanor and Timon and Parmenas and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch. And so they saw this and they, they found these men. But I want for you to, to note the care with which these men were selected. Ability wasn't just enough. Rather, you needed to have high priority on spiritual qualifications as well. I mean, look at verse 3. Again, it says, the apostles laying down the, the guidance. Pick men of good reputation. Those of a good reputation. Probably just amongst people. Someone probably who's trustworthy. People know that. Full of the Spirit and full of wisdom. They need to be that because they need to be spiritual men. You say, why do they need to be spiritual men? They're just serving tables. Can't anyone serve tables? Well, yes. But you don't just pick anybody because we're dealing with the church. In other words, the church is by nature a spiritual organism. It's not just a social institution. There's a great need for spiritually minded people to be engaged in the work itself. So right when it comes to Rock Valley Bible Church, really we need the same thing. We need spiritually minded men to lead and serve the people of God with God given wisdom. Anything else is disaster. Well, we see the men identified in verse 5. We see them appointed in verse 6. And these they brought before the apostles. And after praying, they laid their hands on them. They prayed as an act of dependency upon the Lord to accomplish His task in a wise, right way. And they placed their hands on them as an expression of giving these men authority for the task. And that's how the apostles solved the first major crisis in leadership. They, they delegated to qualified men to be able to fulfill the task so they wouldn't neglect that. But then they themselves devoted themselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. And it's right here where we, we see the, the pattern develop for the, the future leaders that would form in the church. Because we don't have apostles today and we don't have those specifically set to serve tables today. But... We do have those who oversee the spiritual matters of the church and we do have those in the church who are appointed to serve in the physical matters of the church. The first are the elders, also called pastors or overseers or shepherds. Those all describe the same office, the same people. Those who are the elders, the wise ones seeking counsel and seeking how to lead people. And those who are the pastors, really shepherding from pasture shepherding people, the overseers, the episcopos, those who look over the congregation and oversee it and guide it and lead it. Those are elders. Those are like the apostles. And we also have those who 
serve the physical needs of the church. They're called deacons. The, he, the Greek word for that, diakonos, really means servant. And, and these are those who serve in the church. And so we at Rock Valley Bible Church have two offices. We have elders and we have deacons. And the elders are to appoint, to devote themselves to prayer and the ministry of the Word. And deacons are to appoint themselves the tasks the elders give them, mostly physical tasks, but others as well. And uh, I love this passage here in Acts 6 because it lays out the different roles. That like the apostles, elders need to be devoted to prayer. And like the apostles, elders need to be devoted to the ministry of the Word. And like the apostles, they're the ones responsible for leading the church. This is my admonition to Darren and to Phil, is to be much in prayer. Keep your heart tender before the Lord. Pray to God for your own heart. Pray for those who are hurting. And pray for God's Word to accomplish His purposes. Be much in prayer. Be much in, in the Word. Give much time to the ministry of the Word. Study the Bible. Memorize the Bible. Preach the Bible. Teach the Bible. Teach the Gospel. Teach God's Word with all of your powers. Deacons, on the other hand, are those who are appointed to serve the widow's tables. They focus their attention on the physical matters of, of the church. Benevolence. Ministers of mercy is really what they are. Helping on logistics. Helping on buildings. And this is my admonition to you, Lance and Ray, is to be, be doing these things with all your heart. Serve with all your heart, whether the building or the finances. I mean, you both do very well and would encourage you in that way, just like these people here were to give their heart totally to that. And see, it's no accident at Rock Valley Bible Church, that Phil and Darren and I have really delegated much of the responsibility of the logistics of the building to Lance and to Ray. And also we've slid Dirk in there because he's one mind with these guys as well. We've seen your giftedness. We've seen your, your character, your qualities. We want to just say, you know, we trust you guys and you guys just lead us here in this process. It's a task we've given you. On that, so we can be freed up to focus our attention on prayer and the ministry of the Word. And uh, I'm thankful to God the way you guys are, are willingly taking up that, that challenge. But that's how leadership is in the church. And here we really see it in seed form. And, and we're going to see it then transition into elders and deacons, but it, it's, it's slowly. And we see a, a big transition actually coming at the beginning of chapter 8. <clears throat> when Stephen was stoned. Now Stephen, by the way, was one of these men who are set in charge of, um, of serving the tables. You see Acts chapter 6, verse 5. He was full of faith. He was preaching and his message was so good that they stoned him for it. And as he died, we read in chapter 8, verse 1, Saul was in hearty agreement with putting him to death. This is Saul who would then become the Apostle Paul. And the key though here is this that I want to point out. On that day, a great persecution began against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Now, here is all. Here's a, here's a good picture. This doesn't mean that everybody, there's only 12 people left in the church in Jerusalem, because in verse 2, we see some devout men buried Stephen, made lamentation over him. And, and we see Paul ravaging the church, primarily there in Jerusalem, entering house after house, dragging off men and women, and put them into prison. And so still you've got a core and a nucleus of the church, but much of it is scattered. Thousands of people scattered, gone abroad. Maybe just a small remnant left in uh, the city. 
because the execution of Stephen was a declaration of war on the church and these believers were fleeing for safety. And just the captain of the ship is the one that goes down with the ship, so the leaders of the church remained in Jerusalem to help those who remained. It's really a, it's why the apostles stayed. It's why they didn't scatter as well. I want you to think about the scattered believers. There are thousands of them as they go into Judea and Samaria. It's really what's happening here. And who's leading them? Well, it's not the apostles because they remain behind at Jerusalem. Rather, we see elders beginning to lead these churches. Turn over to Acts chapter 14. We see Paul on his first missionary journey. He's gone to Obsidian Antioch and to Iconium and Lystra and Derbe. And now on his way back, we read in verse 20, 21, Acts chapter 14, verse 21, after they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples because God was so fertile and lots of disciples were coming and people were coming to church, they returned back the same way they went to Lystra and Iconium and to Antioch and they were strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. In fact, even let me tell you about this guy Saul. He's going house to house trying to get people out, trying to put them in prison and to bind them and get them to deny their faith. Through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And then... Verse 23, when they had appointed elders for them in every church, having prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. And I think what Paul was doing here is merely, really, you got this church, got this gathering of leaders, and he's picking the most qualified, best guys and just saying, you know what, these are the guys in charge, and, and may the Lord be with you, is what he was doing, really. Um, but here we see the leadership of the church developing. It's not other apostles who are coming up from Jerusalem. It's indigenous elders being identified and named here as being leaders over the churches. And just giving them to God in whom they have believed and, and carrying on. So we see a transition from the apostles leading the church and now as they go on the missionary journey, it's, it's elders then who are leading the, the other churches. And, and even we see a bigger transition coming here in chapter 15. Because when Paul and Barnabas return to uh, Antioch, from which they led out way north of Jerusalem, um, as they came back, there was some false teaching that was coming. Chapter 15, verse 1. And some men came down from Judea and began teaching the brethren, unless you are circumcised according to the Moses, law of Moses, you cannot be saved. These men in Judea were cutting to the heart of the Gospel. We're saved by grace. We're not saved by works. Circumcision, just one, one small work, one time. But listen, church family, you, you add one work to the Gospel and you destroy the whole house of cards. And, and those who add baptism to the Gospel, and there are many in this day and age that do that, they ruin everything. We're saved totally by grace. And anyway, there's a problem. And so, verse 2, Paul and Barnabas had a great dissension and debate with them. And Paul and Barnabas, of course, were on the side of, no, you're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, plus nothing, plus works. In fact, some of that is the impetus for Galatians, the book of Galatians. Paul's just espousing the doctrine of justification by faith alone. And the discussion is saying, no, no, we need to keep circumcision as well. And just one law enters the door for all of the laws. But... The issue was never resolved in the local church. So what did they do? They took it to a higher authority. They took it to Jerusalem. They said, The brethren determined that Paul and Barnabas and some others of them should go up to Jerusalem 
Look to where they're going. They're going to the apostles and the elders concerning this issue. It's very interesting here. It's not just going to the apostles. Going to the apostles and the elders. Why is that? Because I believe that the, the leadership transition is transitioning just from, elder, from the apostles to the elders. And now the elders and the apostles in Jerusalem are sharing ministry load here. And, and it, is, it is significant also that here in Acts chapter 15, every time it mentions apostles, five times, it says apostles and elders. Like for instance, it says it in verse 2, look at verse 4. When they arrived at Jerusalem, they were received by the church and the apostles and the elders and reported all that God had done with them. Verse 6, the apostles and the elders came together to look into this matter. You have the apostles, you know, the twelve, but, but they're coming together now with the elders to look into this issue. We see the leadership transferring. And then in chapter 20, in, in uh, verse 22, that it seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole church to choose men among them to send to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. So in other words, we resolve this issue. It is salvation by grace alone. It's not you don't have to be circumcised in order to be saved. So we're going to send Paul and Barnabas back to Antioch where they came because the elders and the apostles decided this. And then they write this letter, verse 23. The apostles and the brethren who are elders to the brethren at Antioch, Syria, Cilicia, who are from the Gentiles' greetings. Now, we don't have time to look into all the content of this, but here's what we have. We have apostles and elders being the ones signing this paper, this note that goes out that basically says... You don't need to be circumcised to be saved. And then one last time in the book of Acts, our apostles mentioned it all. Acts chapter 16, verse 4. While they were passing through the cities, they were delivering the decrees that had been decided upon by the apostles and the elders who were in Jerusalem for them to observe. Other than that, you don't hear anything else about apostles. And I do find Acts chapter 15 unique because they're combining those two and what it shows is the apostles then transitioned into the elders and the elders then took over the role of the apostles of spiritual leadership of the church. And you need to catch also the time, the time frame. We can read the book of Acts, you know, one sitting and kind of think, oh man, this happened all really fast. Um, the events of Acts chapter 15 were probably somewhere, there's some debate, but probably around 50 A.D. So that puts it about 20 years after the death of Christ. 20 years after this kingdom of God sermon and 20 years after 3,000 people. So we had 20 years. The apostles are still around, but we're transitioning to elders. It's a, it's a slow deal in the early church. It didn't happen exactly overnight. And we, by the way, we are on a similar transition. We have had elders here in the past. Some of you know that. Some of you even don't even know that. But if you recall, Gordy Bell was an elder here at Rock Valley Bible Church. Some of you don't even know Gordy. Um, he lived in Oregon, was an elder at Grace Church of Page, and really came to help me in many ways. Um, the distance was too far for him, so he, um, he decided to find a local church there in the uh, Oregon area. It's totally fine, totally good. Then Frank Yonke came up as an elder from Kishwaukee Bible Church to help fill the void, and they helped to shepherd the church. Um, but quite frankly, to be honest with you, their shepherding of the church was very difficult. Not, not because of... Um, gifting or desire or heart, but simply because Gordy lived in Oregon and Frank lived in DeKalb. And it's almost as if they were trying to shepherd from afar, um, 
and a bit like the apostles were. The apostles were in Jerusalem. They, can't, they couldn't shepherd everybody from afar. And one of the things I'm most excited about transition to Phil and Darren here is that these men are local elders. I mean, this, this is huge for me because I felt, I felt just the, the difficulty with the distance because they are here in Rockford. Darren lives in Rockford and uh, Phil engaged in business. You're here every day. Almost, maybe some rare exceptions, but almost every day you're here. And, and, and so they're going to be among us in a way that Frank and Gordy never were. because Not because of giftedness or willingness, but because of proximity. These guys are close by. And, and by the way, words in Titus. It's interesting how situations in life kind of can lead you to look at verses you've never seen before. Titus chapter 1, verse 5. Titus says this. For, Paul said this to Titus. For this reason I left you in Crete that you would set in order what remains and appoint elders in every city, as I directed you, right? Don't, don't direct them overseeing several cities. Direct point elders in every city. And just to see the wisdom of that, I'm looking forward to having uh, elders here in the city. And I'm thrilled and thankful for these men. I'm thankful God has provided. Thankful for the unity among us. It's been, it's been great. Um, but that's why elders work best when they're in the same city with the church. They can run over to people's houses. They can help people in distress. They can be right there with them. Okay? And even, by the way, we see in, by the time Titus is written, towards the end of Paul's ministry, saying, don't, don't set in order what remains. Don't appoint apostles in every city. It's a transition now to elders. Appoint elders in every city. And then he speaks about the qualification of elders in chapter 1. But let, let's go one last, one last passage here in Acts chapter 20 to see... Um, the prominent role of, of elders. It's one of the most tender scenes in all the Bible, Acts chapter 20. Paul's on the move on his way back to Jerusalem. He's hoping to get there by Pentecost and he decides to sail right past his old friends at Ephesus. We uh, drove back on our vacation from California. Um, we had to get back here. Wednesday night was kind of our aim to get back here and uh, we have some close friends in Lincoln, Nebraska and we decided to drive right past them in Lincoln, Nebraska. And as we've told them afterwards, we've kind of, oh, stop by next time you come by. Please stop by. But Paul decided to sail right past Ephesus because uh, he was in a hurry to go to, go to Pentecost. But, and, and I think in some sense he knew that once he stepped foot in Ephesus, where he was for three years, he was going to be swamped. He going to see so many people going to want to stay there and going to miss the ship back to Jerusalem, and so he decided not. So he decided to sail past Ephesus and go a little way south to a place called Miletus. He called the elders. Elders come to him, and we see this at verse 15. Well, verse 16. Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus, so he not spend time in Asia, for he was hurrying to be Jerusalem, if possible, on the day of Pentecost. And from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus. It's less than a day's walk, uh, and called in the elders of the church, and then he counseled them. He he talked with them. He'd been with these men for three years. He'd seen them come to faith. He'd trained them in the ministry. They were leading the church, not the apostles, who were way off in Jerusalem, a long way from Ephesus. The transition, really, the leadership at this point in Acts chapter 20, I think is complete. It is elders. Nothing more is heard of the apostles. It's the elders who are leading the church. And in Paul's final words here, some of the most tender words in all the Bible, is he gives them counsel for leading the church. He spoke of his own ministry, how he was with them all the time, how he, he just worked night and day, how he was testifying with tears, not accounting his life dear to himself. 
Then he spoke about the dangers they would face. And for the sake of time, I just want to look at verse 28. It says, this, this is kind of the, the summary of the role of elders in a kind of a nutshell. We see here, it says, Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God which He purchased with His own blood. Um, first of all, even you see how Paul identifies these men. He says, you're elders from Ephesus. And he said that the Holy Spirit has set you to be an overseer. And there you see the word overseer. You're, you're overseeing the church. Not churches. Okay, you're overseeing the one church where you are. And you're commissioned to shepherd the church. That is to pastor the church of God. So here we see elders calling to be overseers, calling to be pastors. Shepherding the church which God purchased with His blood. And really that is our task, Phil and Darren and me. We are seeking to love and care for the church that Jesus died to purchase. And the importance here is in the eldering process is to look at yourselves. I mean, that's why in our meetings, guys, we're always asking, right, how's God working in your life? What's God teaching you recently? We ask that question every time. And we just pray, okay, here's how God's working in our life. But we need to, to watch ourselves far beyond watching over the church. Because if you're not watching yourself, there's no way you're going to be able to watch the church. And Satan's going to attack us and leaders before attacking the church. And then he speaks about verse 29, about the, the problems, the dangers that are coming. I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves, men will arise, speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. See, the shepherd will go after the wolf who's going to harm the sheep. And so also, pastors and elders need to protect the evil influence. It's, it's right teaching, pushing that out, protecting the flock. It's a, it's a role to oversee, to pastor, to shepherd, to protect, to guide guard. And if you read First and Second Timothy, um, you get a flavor how this prophecy was fulfilled. False prophets were in Ephesus and they pulled, um, disciples sought to pull them after them. You can read in chapter 1 where it speaks about people wanting to be teachers of the law, but they don't understand the law. But, but they want to, want to be teachers and want to pull things. I think that they may have been the teachers who are right here at Ephesus listening to Paul's word. In 2 Timothy, Paul names several names. Hymenaeus, Alexander, Phygelus, Hermogenes, Philetus. These are men, I would not be surprised if some of these men were right here when Paul says, among your own number, some will arise to lead people to follow after perverse things. And the, the, the charge to Timothy is preach the word, be ready in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. Timothy, Paul said, was to lead the charge in guarding the gospel that was entrusted to him and to go forth and to lead the people of God with that. Well, that's leadership in the early church. It's a time, transitioned over time from the apostles to elders. And so that um, really by the time that Ephesus is written, or, or First Timothy is written, we have elders and deacons. By the time Philippians is written, when Paul is in prison in Rome, he's writing to the church at Philippi, including the overseers and deacons. Really establishing the church by this time, it took some time to transition, just like we're transitioning as well. Well, let me talk briefly about uh, leadership at, at Rock Valley Bible Church. And here I want you to turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3. Uh, 1 Timothy chapter 3 would be better. You get lost if you're in 2 Timothy chapter 3. But here we see the most definitive statement regarding 
just how it is that you choose these men, how it is that these men are qualified to become leaders um, of the church. This time, as I said, the leadership structure in the church is complete. We have two offices, elders and deacons. And um, I want to read this passage and then really catch up to speed where we are in the process, what we've done in terms of uh, Ray and Darren and Phil. You notice that there's a division here. Verses 1 through 7 are talking about overseers or elders or pastors. You can put those in there. And verses 8 through 13 are talking about deacons. Then there's some question about verse 11, which we won't get into. Women, is it the wives of deacons or women in general, women leaders? I don't know. Um, But just as that one. But basically, you've got elders and you have deacons. And let me just read it. It is a trustworthy statement. If any man aspires to the office of an overseer, it is a fine work he desires to do. An overseer then must be above reproach. The husband of one wife, or a one-woman man is even a good way to say that, temperate, prudent, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not addicted to wine or pugnacious, but gentle, peaceable, free from the love of money. He must be one who manages his own household well, keeping his children under control with all dignity. If a man does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of the church of God and not a new convert so he will not become conceited and fall into the condemnation incurred by the devil? And he must have a good reputation with those outside the church so that he will not fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. Deacons likewise must be men of dignity, not double-tongued or addicted to much wine or fond of sordid gain, but holding to the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience." These men must also first be tested and then let them serve as deacons if they are beyond reproach. Women must likewise be dignified, not malicious gossips, but temperate, faithful in all things. Deacons must be husbands, only one wife, one woman man, good managers of their children and their own households. For those who have served well as deacons obtain for themselves high standing great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. I do find it interesting of Paul's language here. Um, just speaking about the qualifications that must be. So, think about Paul is writing this to Timothy. Timothy was a, church, a pastor of a church at Ephesus. 1 Timothy 1.3 I urge you upon my departure for Macedonia to remain on at Ephesus so you may instruct certain men not to teach strange doctrines. So, so. Timothy was this pastor of the church at Ephesus where you had these elders who had basically kind of grown up and then pulled people after their own ways. I think that there were leadership problems in the church at Ephesus. I mean, all you got to do is look here at Timothy. Why, why does Paul say, okay, Timothy, uh, we got elders, but there's a problem with the elders. Some of them are defected and gone astray. I mean, you can even look at 1 Timothy's filled with that, 2 Timothy's filled with that. They've gone astray. I think he's back to the drawing board in terms of installing elders again. Um, and he says, okay, let me tell you what elders must be like. Verse 2, they must be this. Because if they're not this, they will tear and rip church leadership apart, rip the church apart. So, We've looked at these qualities and just said we need to be serious about these. Um, and so with Phil and Darren, I've gave them uh, this this little sheet. You know, I just show it from here. They've seen this, and I've given this to Ray as well. And basically, this is a kind of a, a self-evaluation form, if you will, uh, a rating scale from one to ten. Let's let's just look at each of these things, and you just you just rate on there where where you think you are. All right? Do you aspire to the office? 
One means like little desire and ten means a, a great desire. And uh, one of the things I'm particularly proud of for this, I came up with ten words to kind of show the, the scale from, from nothing. So, are you deficient in this? Or are you defective? Is there a scanty desire? Are you limited? Are you mediocre? Is there a passable desire? Are you suitable? Are you firmed? Are you plentiful? Are you comprehensive? I like came up with all these words kind of describing this spectrum one across the way. It's kind of, <laughs> whatever. You're not impressed, but that's okay. Uh, I put this out there and I said, Phil, you and Darren, let, let's, let's kind of look at that. And, um, and I, I can't remember. I think we had some discussion about this. Did we? I can't quite remember. Just a discussion together about this. Um, and, and really, what, what's interesting about this, it's not really so much important. Uh, humble people will place themselves down the two and three range. Many proud people put them up in the eight and nine range. What really matters is to identify where are you weak and let's, let's look at weakness areas and where are you strong, let's affirm those strengths. But let's, let's look at weakness and are they disqualifying and where are they? And so we went through this with uh, the men, with uh, Phil and Darren. And Ray, I'm not sure. Did I, did I talk to you about this alone? Did I talk about alone? I can't remember alone. Okay, maybe alone. That was my plan. And then what I did is I said, here, give this to your wives. And have them evaluate you as well. And so then they evaluated these men as well. Because who knows their husbands better than the wives. And uh, so, you know, we saw that. And uh, what they did, I said, okay, do that. Have a discussion about it. And I came and visited them. And had a discussion with the wives. And it was really a chance for me then with a husband present to say, okay, wives, why don't you brag on your husbands, okay? And tell me about how wonderful your husband is and... Well, you can tell me the things that lack as well. I mean, that would be fine. That's what I'm here for, right? But I want to hear, you know, and it's really great. An expression of love with Maggie and with Karen and uh, with Michelle. Just expression of love and respect to, um, to their husbands. And we talked about each of these things. And, and when, when I talked to the wives, I said, you know what, give me some examples. You say your husband aspires to the office of an overseer, okay? Karen, tell me, tell me an example of, of how it is, you know? So she told me the example of that, or... You know, Maggie, you say that um, Darren is temperate. Well, how is he temperate? Give me an example. Give me a, just, just talk. And so that was a kind of discussion. So I just heard a lot of stories about, you know, their righteousness. I heard a lot of stories about their sin and was, was good as well. But, but really, really pushing. In an area, I said, okay, now where, where's he most weak? And, and really, I, I sought to push and prod where things were most, most weak. And... Um, um, just let, let me encourage you with this. Um, my most encouraging time was with Maggie, okay? And um, I said, Maggie, what, where can you find a weakness in Darren? And she said something like this. You know what? When I married Darren, my estimation of Darren was here. And since being married with him, my estimation of Darren is up here. Isn't that great? I love that. Now, Karen, you said some good things too, Michelle. You just, I just share one highlight. <laughs> From, from Maggie, that's not to deny these men either, but that's to say uh, that's where they are, because we're, we're seeking just to, just to see these things. Um, and I want you to point out here, also verse 7, look what verse 7 says. And he must have a good reputation with those outside the church, so you're not falling to reproach and snare of the devil. So how are you going to find out what people are thought of outside the church? Well, you've got to go ask them, Right? And so um, I asked these guys. In fact, I kind of picked them. I, 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 know, I know their surroundings a little bit. And I said, Ray, how about, you know what, there's a guy you work really closely with. How about if I, I'll take him out to lunch and just want to talk to him about you. 
and uh, with Phil, you know, he's into the CrossFit training thing. I said, how about, how about your trainer? That might be a good someone to meet with. So I took him out to lunch. And with Ray, with uh, Darren, there's a neighbor. And I said, how about I take him out to lunch? And, and none of these guys are Christians and none of them are in the church. Uh, some have some church background. Um, um, Ray, your co-worker, doesn't at all like nothing. And so what did I took him out to lunch. And uh, there in the restaurant, I pulled out my Bible and just said, Hey, I, 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 just, I just want to know a little bit about Ray. Why don't you tell me? Because he's aspiring to the office of a deacon here. And let me just tell you what a deacon is. And we just opened the Bible. Um, and I, I asked in every instance, What do you understand about church? What do you understand about church leadership? So I explained that. Went through here. Just kind of opened it. And went through. Okay. Well, um, you know, Ray says must be a man of dignity. What do you think? Uh, can you tell me? Is he a man of dignity? How? Tell me. You know, and uh, this man said how he never heard Ray raise his voice at work and always deals under pressure in a really fine way. And so that was, that was good and encouraging. And just, just went right through. And then, as I love, as I've done this before, I had a great opportunity for the gospel. You know, I just kind of said, well, here, here's why they're involved. It's because the grace of Christ has gripped them and the you know, comprehension of Jesus and all He is. I mean, that's why they're pursuing this. They're not pursuing this to make their way to heaven. They're pursuing this and God has changed their life and they want to pursue after these ways. And so I had opportunity and some were more interested than others to, uh, to speak the gospel to them. I gave them two ways to live track, invited them to church. And um, at least one man made a promise to, to come to church. And it was, it, it was good. It was, a, it was a great time. And I, I was encouraged by Phil's, uh, Phil's coach who said, yeah, yeah. Phil just, man, he's a preacher. He just invited everybody to church and prays with people there in the, um, in the gym as well. You know, so just, just get, that's the only way I know to get a, see whether people have a good reputation with those outside the church. So that's what, what I've done. And all these things continue to point positively. And thus, that's why today even we're presenting them. And so now really it comes to you for an opportunity for feedback. And I really encourage you to look here in 1 Timothy 3 these qualities and just, you know, match them up with Ray and Phil and Darren to see how do, how do they work. And I want your feedback on them. And I will seek your feedback on them. And, you know, if you find something that has come up, you said, oh, that's not... I, I've seen an issue where I think that's an issue in your life. I would encourage you to go and talk with them. Right? Go and say, Phil, hey, I heard what Steve said in his message and I have some things I want to talk about. I appreciate your hard work and I appreciate your aspiring to the office, but... You know, I just got this concern. Let me just let me just talk to you about this and talk about it. And and uh, if it's too difficult to talk with one of these men alone, then come to me and we'll figure out what to do. But but I want us to be like they were in Acts six, where the whole whole congregation, you know, was agreed on these things, and we said this this felt this felt really good, and we we are encouraged by this plan of action. And and so I want to. See, I hope you maybe install them all in January. You know, there's some snags. We can push it off. It's more important to do it better than to do it sooner. I mean, we've been laying here for over a year of doing this, but it is a process of growing up. I figure going into the building is a good time for us really to think about this uh, coming in. And um, all of you, and I just say this, you need to trust your leaders. And I'm looking forward to a great day. We could have a, a team of these five men uh, in, um, affirmed prayed for, commended that God would, would use us in His way. So that's kind of the plan. That's the transition. The early church, that was more of a Bible study, but it was encouraging to my heart as I thought about this week. And then just what we're doing at Rock Valley Bible Church. If you have any questions, you can certainly talk to me.
Um, and as we, we get down, we'll, we'll, we'll establish Sunday. You know Sunday several several weeks in advance about when we're, we're aiming to do this. Um, I just want to put that out there. And I know they've been under evaluation really for a year or so. And it is good. I mean, there, there's a specific purpose why they've been where they are. If you look at verse 10 of chapter 3, talking particularly about the deacons, but, but by application true of potential elders too. And these men must also first be tested. Then let them serve as deacons if they're beyond reproach. The same day, there's been a period of testing. A period of trial. You've seen the leadership of the church, how it's gone uh, with these men. So, Well, I want to finish my message with um, praying for this leadership process so we grow up. And uh, next week, we're going to look at another issue of growing up uh, in the church building. Uh, in fact, I'm looking forward to that service. We're going to change the service a little bit. We're going to have opportunities for several of the men, particularly those who've been around the longest, I mean, give opportunities to give testimonies to the Lord um, in that building. I'm looking forward to it. But I want to even thank the Lord here for Rockford Christian High School. Um, as we close our last service here, even to think about everything that God has done to provide this place. And, and even, um, I'll start praying, but I want to give any of you who want to give thanks to God for Rockford Christian High School an opportunity just to uh, pray right where you are and encourage all of us as we uh, we seek to leave this this place. And then we'll have a, a closing song. It's a very appropriate uh, song in grace alone. Just everything, every promise, God. We will only go forth in grace alone as you provide. So let me pray first. I'll give you all an opportunity and then I'll, I'll close and we'll sing this last song together. Father, I thank You for a, a church that's growing up. It is in Your time and Your way. I, I know that... Um, God, many things happen in the life of the church where it's not exactly planned. Um, God, I, I didn't plan nine years before getting local elders. Um, God, and yet it's, it's your way. It's your plan and, and hope deferred makes the heart glad. And so in this we can be glad and rejoice. Um, Lord, we just pray you'd oversee us in this process to protect us from strife. And the leadership, I know how painful that is and would pray you'd protect us from that. Um, so help. Um, God, I thank you for the way these men have served before everybody. Uh, would pray just for this process. Thank you for the scripture which gives us guidance and would pray you'd, you'd help us in these ways. And Lord, I want to be the first to thank you also for Rockford Christian High School. I remember years ago looking for a place and... Um, God asking several places and not not finding a place. And then um, even potentially having a place, but there was division among us about whether it would be there or not. And I thought that was a great place, and yet you guys us elsewhere. And then um, that week I called here, and the church had just left this room, this building, allowed us to slide right in in your sovereign timing, and you have used this building for us, for our good, um, for your glory. And uh, thank you for the administration here, for Randy Taylor and his kindness to us. I thank you for the way he's dealt with us. God, doing, just calling us to do to others we would have them do to us. And so regarding even our own rent that we set, just seeking to do to others we would have them do to us. And just, just encouraging us in that godly way and being open and, and through all the life problems and difficulties we've caused, just been gracious Thank you for the administration here and thank you for everything we've been able to do. And I would pray even for our next chapter of life at Rock Valley Bible Church that you might allow a, 
a solid building to, to, to change our ministry in a way which is good, which is really a, a time of growing up. So God, help us and, and guide us in these things, we pray. Amen.